What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, July 25th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 227. So hot. Another baptism is sounding pretty good right about now. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me, a man that is going to search out living waters in Glacier National Park, a Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going? What up? I realize I didn't mention this to you, Caleb, but I wanted to, I had a review, but instead of a, a book, it's a CD. A CD? So I know I didn't mention that to you, but I thought I would now. Who is it? McKedham. Ah, yes, yes. Of course. Well, they uh, apparently have now heard of us. I post. Oh yeah, well, one of our uh, one of our our supporters uh, just saw them in Atlanta. My good friend Mark saw them in Atlanta. Said, "Hey, have you heard of Torah Resource?" They said, "No," which is actually interesting because a significant portion of our staff was there talking to them in Washington just a couple months ago. I was. Oh, there. Why didn't you Why didn't you uh, mention Torah Resource to them there, uh, Rob? Oh man, it's after a long after what they did what an hour and a half, two hours show, and and they have bombarded with people taking pictures and stuff. Oh, it must be so hard being such a rock star, two hours no, of just, playing just hang, music. That's why out. they don't call I was it talking about music. They don't call it working <laughs> music. They call it playing music. It's play, not work. That's true. I just posted. Okay, for our, whoever's on our Facebook page, I put. Uh, I put some YouTube to some of my favorite songs. So, can we should we just do that first here? I mean, sure. Do you have any? John, Johnny Johnny F in the uh, chat room asks if we're taking questions on this broadcast. Depends what kind of questions. Um, actually, okay, you go with that, and then I'll mention next week's show uh, to everyone and and plug it. Go. Cool, go. cool. So, for those who uh, noticed you know you liked that we were doing book reviews for a while and then they, they kind of faded off and we'll we'll do them occasionally i thought you know what i've been wanting to do using our review format but for music and so here's a copy autographed it's probably you can't see it very well uh of the new mckedham cd so this is volume two i think they call it there's no words on it anywhere um and I posted a couple YouTube links to our Facebook page if you want to listen to some. Right. The print is, I don't understand, I'll, I'll start with my complaint. My complaint is I don't understand the album cover. It's kind of this weird pinkish color. And all the liner notes are pink, and it's tiny print, black on pink, and it's tiny English and Hebrew print. And it's like, now I know I'm getting old, but these people These is, people need a, a mic on their side. Yeah, this is, this is... Uh, it's really way too hard to read. Uh, and there's all sorts of space on there. They could have used a bigger font, bigger size. Anyway, that's my only criticism. The album <laughs> is amazing. I've got a fairly decent car stereo, and I crank McKedem. Uh The production quality is, is wonderful. Overlaying of multiple guitar tracks multiple percussion both traditional drum kit and all sorts of middle eastern um percussion instruments middle East, eastern eastern stringed instruments along with traditional electric guitar with effects um really cool polyrhythm so some of the music is in straight four but there's stuff that's in three time there's stuff that the time signature is changing um and can I, can I, can they, I they use some scales, use the microtonal 
uh, pitches, so stuff that you can't play on a, on a traditional uh, 12-tone scale because it's microtones. Um, and that's the Middle Eastern, what they call the makamat in Arabic culture, but the, the, uh, the microtones in Middle Eastern sounding modal music. Um, and all the lyrics are just taken from the Psalms. Oh, like so it's yeah. so they're not it's not like um, they're composing oh you know you know you know oh I love God God you know I love you it's it's not like it's not like contemporary Christian I I think of these guys I don't think they're messianic they, I uh, when I say that I don't think they're really I, I think I see them as Israeli Christians. evangelical right I would so, say this is it's so if I were to <laughs> if I had to pinpoint the genre of Mekedim, I'd say Israeli uh, uh, evangelical, but they're kind of like the switch foot, you know, they're edgy. They've got the distorted guitar. They're not afraid to, to do some really cool, uh, uh, things with bass and guitar and loud drums. I'll have to but, listen to it. I'll have yeah. to listen. I've never, I've never, I've never listened to it. Some of my favorite is Ahavti, uh, which is from Psalm 116. Uh, Haste Adonai is, is sang by the, the gal. Her name's Shai, I think. Uh, beautiful voice. She does Psalm, psalm twenty three, the whole psalm. Um, she does uh, Adonai Roi. That's Psalm twenty three. Haste Adonai. She does, which is Psalm eighty nine. But she just does a select verses. So sometimes, a couple times, it's the whole psalm put to music. Sometimes it's just select verses from a psalm. Can I tell you uh, a secret about me that uh, I think a lot of people don't realize? Yeah, let's hear it. So. <clears throat> I grew up in a very musical family. I've played the cello since I was six years old. Played a lot of classical music. Wanted to be in bands horribly. Got in, pl played with bands, did you know all different genres of music. Listened to some very specific genres of music in my 20s. And I got to say, for the most part, I don't like music. Now, I know that sounds weird, but I would rather just have the silence than anything on. And... Now, there are exceptions to that. I like, you know, I like some good old jazz, you know, especially if I'm sitting having a glass of wine with my wife in a nice restaurant, jazz trio over in the corner, perfect. Love that. Um, you know, but besides that, nah, I'm not turning on the radio. I don't have CDs to put in. Um, and when I do listen to things, it's very, very specific. It gets even worse when it comes to religious music. You know, that, that Babylon B post that they posted one time, Christian radio station accidentally plays good song, that, <laughs> that resonates with me. I think that religious music, for the most part, is subpar across oh the board. Oh, yeah. oh, and, well, and, yeah. and when we get into the Messianic Hebrew roots realm, um, it's, uh, it, it's even worse. It, that is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I mean, I can't stand it. It's, it. it's so pro overproduced. It's so wor it's worse than country music to me. Predictable. I, I, it's chord, just bad. Chord progressions, predictable production. Yeah. And uh, so my wife and I have have searched low and high for good, you know, something that's good that's religious. You know, I'll tell you, every once in a while, I, I'll like going to a church that sings hymns. You know, be, and I think one of the reasons is because there's no production value. It's you know, acapella hymns every once in a while. That'll 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 satisfy something in me, um, but for the most part, I don't like music. And we finally came across one CD that I like, that's religious music. Now I haven't listened to the rest of their stuff, but the latest Ren Collective is really good. And I would say that it's like Irish meets modern folk rock, which is not my genre of music either. That's my recommendation. I'll have to listen to your ketamine and see what I think. Um, you know, basically, if it's not string cheese incident, I don't know. Anyway, okay, let's uh, let's move on. Um, let's plug this. So we had the question in the chat room about are we taking questions? Uh, yes, uh, I. Who was that? Who who asked that? It was Johnny. Johnny, if you uh, post a question, we uh, we. We'll certainly take a look at it. I think I saw an email from you, Johnny, as well. And CJ, uh, he just says, "I love Ren Collective." Uh, CJ, I didn't realize that you were a you were a fellow Tacomite. Uh, you know, T-Tone. You should tell me where you live, brother. Um, I found CJ on on Facebook the other day, and and uh, he had a picture of himself out in front of uh, the 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 T Dome. 
And I was like, yeah, T-Dome. T-Town Pride. Um, Anyway, uh, that's where I live. Or loco. I don't know if you guys are local or local. (laughs) (laughs) Grit City, man. Grit City. Uh, (laughs) I have a story about that. Anyway, not the point. Um, Oh, he's in Lakewood. All right. Very cool. Our congregation is uh, UP. In UP. So anyway, um, yeah, we'll have to do coffee sometime, CJ. Um, Okay. Anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Yes. Music, not not liking music. Actually, I get so, the silence. I get the silence. I think we all need solitude, time to just hear. You know, Yeshua all the time. How how often does it does it say Yeshua went out into the, you know, out into the wilderness to be by himself? <laughs> Wait, the I, the chat room is turning against me quickly in the uh, in the musical About realm. Music? Oh boy. Okay, let's let's I just move. wanted to re- I just wanted to plug. <laughs> let's let's yeah, move on. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, so Johnny asked about questions. Yeah, actually, you can ask questions in the chat room. You can send us emails as well. And let's talk about how you can get a hold of us and ask questions. You can send us emails. Seahag uh, at tourresource.com. It's seahag at tourresource.com. And you can call the comment line, 253-465-3205. Now, this is where I want to talk about something very special that's going to happen. Then we'll get into our main topic. And I'm going to leave this number up so that you guys can, if you haven't heard it enough times to be able to recite it from memory, I want you to write it down now. Because next week, uh, Rob is taking his son to Glacier Na- National Park. And uh, and so he's going to be gone. And my father, this, this is perfect timing, by the way. My father has his new book coming out. And it'll probably come out, I think, about um, August 15th or so. Something like that. We'll have to. I'll have to look for a specific uh, date. But anyway, point is, is that it comes out right around that time. Next week, I'm going to have my father on the show, and we're going to do the show later in the day. I think we're going to do it at two o'clock Pacific time instead of nine thirty Pacific time. Um, and so two o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And here's the deal: I'm going to try my hardest throughout the week to figure out how we can make this into a call-in show. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make the comment line actually so, go to a switchboard. So your voice your will voice be will, Yes, your hopefully will be on air with us. Uh, and so you'll be able to call the comment line. The comment line will be switched to a switchboard, and uh, there will be someone screening calls and putting them into a park. And then we will be taking, hopefully, Lord willing, we will be taking, um, and this will all be sent out in show notes beforehand, uh, we'll be taking questions on air from my father, biblical questions. He's going to be talking about the uh, jo- uh, Johannine epistles, uh, so first second and third John. He's going to talk about the themes in, in uh, the epistles and um, and some of what he sees in the study of the of these three epistles and what he gained from writing his commentary, which is a very lengthy commentary on these three epistles. For those who don't know, first, second, and third John are very short, right? Um, first John is the longest out of the three. Uh, and uh, actually, First John has holds a very special place in my heart. It's the first book of the Bible that my wife and I read together. We read it uh, all in one sitting, and uh, it was it was really really a very uh, wonderful time. Anyway, um, so I believe that I, now I could be off on the page count, but I believe his page count for the entire book is four hundred and thirty six pages. So it's not a uh, it's not a small it's not a small undertaking that uh, to to write something like this. And uh, yeah, so, but you, we encourage people to uh, get questions ready, not just about the epistles. Now, if you have questions about the three epistles, first, second, third John, that'd be great. Uh oh, Rob's on the chat room. That means I've lost my host, my co host. He's gone no. for the day. Uh, no. No, it's <laughs> yes. Not good. That's exactly what that means. I just saw Gary put Sons of Korah on, and he meant Sons of Korah. Which are awesome. Sons of Quran are awesome. I'm just like the Sons of Quran would be a different. Yeah, that's a, that's a different genre of music altogether. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh no! Where is this show going right now? Oy vey. Anyway, next week, uh, keep your eyes out for the show notes. If you don't get the show notes, I would highly encourage you to do so. Go to torresource.com. Hover over TR Radio, go down to Messiah Matters. Once you click on that, then there's all sorts of stuff on the right-hand side, including a place to sign up for our show notes. I'd encourage you to do that because we will give you more information about when our show is going to be next week. And 
And if you listen live and you call in, I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but we're going to give at least one copy of his new commentary before it's before it's up online. We're going to give it away to one of our listeners. Wow, that's awesome. We're getting we're getting high tech over here, man. We're getting, you know, trying to do how things right. Is that, how is it going to be selected? I haven't determined that yet. This much I can tell you. This haircut that I got going on right here, mm-hmm. chopped off. I'm going to cut it cut it today, hopefully. So I'll look better. Maybe you could you could post a question in our Facebook page. What by what means should it be determined? Yeah, what, what kind of contest should we have? Yeah, yeah. What kind of contest should there be? So it's a contest as to what kind of contest it should be. Yeah, well, uh, we'll have a contest of what kind of contest we should have to give away. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's get to it. We got uh, plenty of uh, plenty of things to talk about. First of all, uh, thank you. Oh, and uh, lastly, on that, um, you know, I should roll our producer credits. These are our producers for today, and uh, and and for the summer months, uh, Messiah matters. And um, we thank all of our producers. If you'd like your name to scroll for the show next week, when my father's on, which I'm sure will be a, a blockbuster show. Then uh, make sure to go to uh, the Messiah Matters page on Torah Resource, and um, uh, and yeah, uh, become an executive or an associate producer. What am I doing here? Sorry, everyone. And uh, not only that, but you can support this show for as little as five dollars a month. Um, that's less than I don't know, a lot of things. I think in the show notes I put a case of uh, Smart Water. Less than the price of a case of Smart Water each month. You can help. Support Messiah Matters, and if you do that, then you get access to uh, Messiah Matters More, which is a special page just for our supporters. So, uh, think about it. Okay, let's move on, and this is going to get now into our main topic. We have no subtopics like we normally do. Um, we're going to go straight into it. And thanks to our, uh, our, our unofficial, or maybe now official, uh, assistant slash uh, Messiah Matters secretary, Jessica, uh, she has put together... Seven questions about baptism, which she posted for us. And basically, I didn't, or was it nine? I think it's nine questions. I didn't even uh, edit these. I just <laughs> I just copied and pasted. I'm getting ready for Ontario. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm lazy right now with the show. Um, but thank you to Jessica for being there for me because, boy, I don't know what we would have done this week uh, otherwise. Okay, here it is. Um, question number one. Now, we should talk about the word mikvah real quick so that those who are tuning in who don't know what a mikvah is can have some idea of, of what we're talking about. First of all, mikvah is a ritual bath, uh, which was done, well, it was done multiple times, right? It was done uh, for all sorts. Of, if you became, became ritually unclean in temple times, then uh, you had to wash, and this was called a mikvah. Now... After the destruction of the temple, a lot of this actually changed, right? Or or more rules got put onto it. How much water is enough water? What kind of water does it have to be? All these kind of things. Whether or not these were implemented in the first century, I don't know. Do you know, Rob? Well, it depends on what group. I mean, if we're ta- are you talking about rabbinic concept, uh, like of halakha, or do you mean second temple period? I'm talking I mean, second temple period. Second temple period, uh, I mean it's a function of the where you live if you're like for example we don't have a lot of uh remaining or at least that have been found first century mikvaot we have for example there's one at gamla up north in the galilee right we have one at qumran right that is first century i i and then we have one at masada that is first century before these are all before the temple was destroyed but with that be hang on just a sec with all the three places that you just mentioned all three of these places have very specific um situations that would certainly require uh, in other words for instance the dead sea scroll community or the qumran community rather uh they thought that the jerusalem temple was corrupt and it may very well have been however they're i mean they were they were out there anyway, right? But the, I mean, so they basically tried to take the temple service. We think they tried to take forms of the temple service and implement them at Qumran. So therefore, right. having a mikvah would be 
uh, necessary. And the same thing basically happened up at Masada. They had, uh, you know, they were they were held up at Masada. Uh, during well, by the, the first century, the we had, uh, there was a synagogue at Masada and a mikveh, um, and there was, of course, the Qumran community had, you know, they were a they envisioned themselves as a mosaic covenant kind of community. They had a mikveh. Um, and at Gamla, the mikvah is right outside the syn- the synagogue. But so I guess these I, are these are t- these are closed, more or less closed communities, that um, applied some sort of ritual washing to their life outside of the temple in the first century. That's right. that's the point here, is that um, this the mikvahs that these groups did did not have anything to do with their their visiting the temple. Because they were, uh, you know, Gamla's way up north in the north, uh, uh, well, it's kind of northeast of the Sea of Galilee in the hills, uh, in the Golan. And so it's not like the mikvah you did there would be preparation to go to the temple. Now at the, right. at the south end of the temple, they have excavated lots of mikvah oat that were related to people who were ascending to the temple mount. And the presumption is that everybody had to, to do a mikvah there. Um, as part of you know this transition of coming into the temple space, so but each of these, whether it's the the mikvot at the temple or the in the first we're just sitting this you know first century now or Masada Qumran or uh, Gamla, that you, your your mikvah was in a a controlled space. In other words, there were authorities around. Like just not any, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry could come and and do a mikvah. You there would be some sort of sniff, <laughs> kind You're of walking test. through the desert. You show up at Qumran. Hi, hey, I was just wondering if I could uh, dip in there real quick. Maybe I'm, just... I'm unclean and I need to be clean. Yeah, it's, so it doesn't <laughs> wor- it doesn't work that way. Um, and there there's actually a verse in the Gospel of Luke that I'd like to just while we're talking about this aspect i know we've got so much to talk about because we haven't even talked about baptism yet but well, well hang on so with with what you're saying and maybe this will tie into what you're gonna i don't know what verse you're gonna look at but just coming back to the idea of you know these were over these were seen like you know there was authority over what was going on there in other words not any person could come in and get into uh a right community these mikvah. are another but, it might be Ma, uh magdala okay which but, is a new new excavation on the sea of galilee where uh, uh, Mary Magdalene probably came from. There's a so, syna- first century synagogue and mikvah oat right outside. First of all, we see that same thing going on today. I can't walk into a Catholic church and say I want to get into your baptismal. You know, in other words, or even or even a, a Pentecostal or a you know bap. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're gonna they're gonna have questions. You know what? You know what do you believe? All these kind of things. But yeah, the, the they're point, not just gonna. They're not, does this now, does this show about baptism proper yet? But you're right. The idea is the the general principle. I think that I take away from this first little thing we're talking about is is this the it's a physical object right it's a it's the mikvah is a physical space it's in physical space that is uh more often than not in a controlled there's some sort of hierarchy or you know community that is overseen there's there's local oversight that perhaps keeps make sure it's clean make sure it's okay hang on just a sec though wait wait though so and, and controls access. To here's something. here's the question then: Does that show the uh, radical nature of what John the Baptist was doing? Ab- absolutely, because it's out. It's it's the Jordan River. It's, anyone it's God, anyone it, come it, and repent? It's God's mikvah. The Pharisees can't block people who let's say the Pharisees in Jerusalem had a tight little eruv or whatever, right, or whatever they had, and they had their little shared mikvah. Uh, for their Just own go purity down a little purposes, ways. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, they're not going to let. Uh, there's people coming out to John the Baptist that would never be permitted into those into those spaces. And and just to if people would like an insight, you know, if you look at Luke chapter 11, starting with verse uh, 37, it says, "Is when Yeshua had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him." So Yeshua's invited into a Pharisee's home. He says, he went in and reclined at the table, and the Pharisee saw it, and he was surprised that Yeshua had not first immersed before the meal. So what is this? This is uh, a guy probably had probably pretty well-to-do, and whether he had his own 
mikvah there at his house or if he was part of some sort of uh, little tight-knit Pharisee house circle and they all shared a mikvah, we don't know. But the point is Yeshua came and sat at the table to eat and it, and Luke tells us that the, the owner of the home was shocked that, it, that Yeshua did not do a mikvah before the meal. So this is an example of a tradition of man. Right. Right. The, right. the, the expectation that Yeshua was going to do this mikvah before lunch came not from the scriptures. It came from a, a more recent set of, now later we might call them halachot, but it's no, we wouldn't even call it halachot, we'd call it uh, custom, that then it would be, oh, I noticed that, that, that this is one Jew seeing another Jew and saying, oh, he doesn't keep that custom. And that's, that's right at the point where we have the shift between the word of, word of God and the traditions of man. And if not checked, that tradition of men just puffs up more and more and more like leaven. And it can and then becomes a reason for social, you know, these, this group excludes this other group because right. they're not doing it right. And the whole point, the whole time, the Torah of, uh, of Yeshua gets kicked out of the way. So the, before we go on, I want, and, and this is a great conversation, but before we go on, I want to, um, and actually, so Jessica's first uh, point here, is or a question I should say how was mikvah, uh, the mikvah understood in the first century Judaism? Okay, this is a perfect segue into this, and the reason why is because mikvahs were done on a regular basis, right? And what did they signify? They signified a change of status. They change a, uh, they signified a change of status from unclean, ritually unclean, and as we've said many times on this show, but just to reemphasize for those who might be new to our show. Being ritually unclean was not, there was nothing sinful about that. A woman had a monthly cycle. She that, she wasn't sinning in that, but she became unclean. And a man uh, in, you know, in copulation with his wife, he uh, finishes and he's unclean, right? Well, all these things can essentially be tied back to death. The woman has her monthly cycle and that what potentially could have been a, uh, a life uh, has died and, and blood comes. This is, uh, this is attached to death and therefore she's unclean. Same with a man and his, you know, an ejaculation. He, uh, he ejaculates and what could have been become life is now death. So the temple was a place of life because that was the, the dwelling of the living God, right? The God of life dwelled in the temple, dwelled in the temple. And this is a, a symbolism of us becoming this is a symbol of a symbolism of salvation. We're tainted with sin, and uh, sin brings death, uh, spiritual death. And in order to um, come back into the presence of the living God, we have to become uh, cleansed from. Okay, but you, what death. you're talking about needs to be so. There's use of washing as part of God's procedure for a person who's, for whatever reason has gone from being pure to impure with respect to the Mishkan or the priestly service and, and right. holy space, right? Because right. you, you can't enter the holy space or the holy precincts um, unless you're pure. Right. And so these things are all delineated in the Torah now. But what we're talking about in Luke 11, by the second temple period, that still is true. But you have another local application like Yeshua didn't, the expectation that Yeshua was going to immerse. I agree with you. Before he ate is is now an added layer. So I, I what totally we need to remember is that we've got the word of God level, <laughs> and then we've got these local applications so to actually, try to replicate purity. Gary asks in the chat room, he says, could it have, and I believe he's talking to the passage that you're referencing here about Yeshua not, uh, you know, immersing first. Could it have simply meant to wash up from the context? In other words, could it mean to uh, hand washing instead? Eh, I, I I don't think so. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem as though the the language it, is the same. The, the language immersion is just that he immersed, he, that he did not immerse. Um, so I understand what you're saying. However, I want to go back real quick because the the point is is that when you have John the Baptist going out into the desert and calling people to repentance. And require and and then giving them a mikvah for it. This is 
in my opinion, it's intentional. It's, it's of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, obviously it's extremely well thought out. In other words, it's, it's meant to be associated with the mikvah of the temple. They have to get out of the city. They have to get Even, out. Yeah. Everything and, is and intentional it's, about it. I mean, if you've ever gone from Jerusalem to the Jordan River, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's way downhill. You're going way, way down, down, out of the out of the city, and you go out into the wilderness. Well, not today. It's, re- it's not really wilderness today. But back then, you're journeying, and it says all, you know, those in Judea and Jerusalem were going out. Um, they're going outside of the controlled religious space. The, the temple, yeah, once again, and... You know, Yeshua kind of shows this when he when he throws over the temp, uh, the tables in the temple before his crucifixion, right? He says, "You've made my my father's house a, a den of thieves." Okay, well, and then and one other notion there is that it's it it's uh, very likely that um, they were reminded of Israel coming into the land for the first time under Joshua, right? Um, so, but the point is, is that the mikvah itself that 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 John is now administering is highly symbolic. And what's odd, though, is it seems as though, uh, you know, it seems as though people aren't taken back by it. It might have been something radical, but it wasn't so radical that people were saying, what are you doing? This is outside of the temple complex. You shouldn't be doing this. No, all our sources show that it, it, uh, it echoed, right? The wave went through, even the religious leaders are going, wow, the people are going after this and you know and then what do we do right it's shaking their house so to speak so when that when some of the religious leaders come out he tells them you know who warned you to flee from the coming wrath in other words do you think the pharisees thought saw it as like the benny hinn of the time i mean and i'm not trying to whether or not benny hinn is take it or leave it but the point is huge revival guys doing something that the mainstream christian church says now this isn't right the Pharisees are kind of looking at this like this dude is out to lunch. He's blowing well, on he, people and they're I, falling unlike, down. But I don't know about Benny Hinn, but I, I think that I'm saying their perception of it. John the Baptist was telling them to repent, right? And and put his life on the line and was ultimately, you know, imprisoned and beheaded because, because of, of his it, yeah. zeal. His, yeah, he wasn't going to budge by declaring the truth by bearing witness to the truth. Um, and Boy, isn't, isn't that one, isn't that, that one against, isn't that one and one again, I mean, when people say, oh, you know, believers should love and, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't call out other believers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what would John the Baptist be doing today? Oh boy. Anyway. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's go to the second question here that uh, Jessica has written down. Is baptism merely symbolic or is there some mystical, spiritual, vicarious connection with Messiah that the follower undergoes as a result or are both true? thoughts i i mean i uh, my initial my initial thought is that baptism by water is a symbol baptism by the holy spirit is something that is life-changing and well, baptism a, by water is a, it it's a command right but the question is what uh, does it have uh what did she say like a mystical kind of thing um paul yes. unpacks it right Paul and uh, and well, even in the gospel, is it the gospel of Mark? He says, "Will you be baptized baptized with the baptism that I'm being baptized with?" And he's talking to he's talking about his death, right? Immersion into into death. And so now, while if you look at all the baptisms in the apostolic writings, many of them seem to have been in living water, like a river. Like the Jordan River, most of them, obviously, even when Yeshua's disciples were baptizing others, it was in the, the Jordan River. And we don't, it never says Jew, uh, that Yeshua did any baptism personally, except John the Baptist said, the one who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, we have in Acts 16, baptism at the river outside of, uh, is it Philippi, up in, you know, north Aegean Sea area. Right. Um, but then we have the baptism of like Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius in his household. Now they're by the sea, they're in Caesarea, but it's not sure, we don't know, did they go to a, a mikvah? Did they have access to a mikvah space or did they just use a pitcher of water? We, we're just not told. Um, 
So, but, but I think it's important that, that if you, if at all possible, a person should at least have the experience of dunking under living water, whether that's in a, in a river or in a lake, you know, fresh, fresh water where there's some sort of river, um, or movement of the water. And I, I think that's important. Not, not that that has to be your official quote baptism, but there's, that's something for meditation and reflection for your whole life as a disciple of Yeshua is, wow, just the reflection on what is that imagery? What is that symbol, if, if you want to use that word, of going down into the water where you will die if you stay down there? You can't, you can't breathe down there. Okay, and on. then coming out at new creation and that this, as Paul unpacks in like Romans 6, for example, this is a picture of, of dying and coming back out as a new life. And, and if, you, if we haven't died, if we're not reckoned as having died with Messiah and having participating in his resurrection life, um, then, then we're just playing religion, right? Because the fact that our sin has to be dealt with because we, are, we stand before the Torah as transgressors unless we are reckoned as having died. Right. And it's Yeshua's death it's through Yeshua's death that we um, we are reckoned as uh, that debt has been paid. And so, um, I mean, there's a lot we could we talk about this. But, uh, but anyway, I think that uh, if just refl- if you have been baptized, for example, I was baptized as an infant with a little water, probably a little shell with water or something like that. Um, and then once I came to a, a basic grasp as uh, a man, you know, of what was going on with respect to the Torah. And I had kind of a lot of different worldview shifts happen that um, I was baptized again. So is it the first one didn't tick, tick, you know, and that was part of my... Wait, we're going to talk talk about this below. Hang on just a sec, though. But anyway... We got so much going on in the chat room right now. It's... it's, uh, (laughs) It's really difficult to keep up. Okay, hang so, on. but we hey, do. Wait, need, wait, I, wait, I don't want to conflate baptism and a mikvah, and it feels like we might be doing that. I understand. Okay, let's go back for a second. Helen says, "If it's a command in the New Testament, it must have been a command in the Old Testament." No, there's no new laws commands. I disagree with that. I don't believe that at all. I think that the apostolic scriptures um, are able to. Uh, give commands just as, as Moses gave commands, and I mean, just like uh, buying and selling in the in the uh, in Ezekiel, right? Uh, we don't see a, a command in in uh, the Torah to not buy and sell on the Shabbat, but Ezekiel seems to give us a new command uh, that we're not supposed to do that. Uh, Joseph says, "A baptism is baptism necessary for salvation? Why did Yeshua say you must be baptized in water? Um, first of all, no." work is uh, is necessary for salvation. Yeshua chooses God the Father chose whom he chose to give as a gift to the Father before the foundations of the world based on nothing you could do or ever would do. Uh, he did it based on we don't know on his own for his own reasons and um, and so salvation is not a work. Do we have commands? Are we conformed to the righteousness of, of God? Absolutely. Sanctification is a dual work bef- between the Holy Spirit and each individual. But it is not that is not what gains you salvation. If, if that were the case, then every, if we broke any command, we, this is exactly why we need the Messiah. Um, where is it in Galatians 2? This is like my favorite verse. I think it's 16. Um, no, it's not. Anyway, um, I'll find it here in just a second. Next uh, qu- question was, where is baptism in the Old Testament? Commands. Well, um, I think that baptism, once again, is tied to mikvahs. Is it the same? No, probably not. Talk on that for a second while I look for this verse. The differentiation? Between- yeah, exactly. I mean, what's the difference between baptism and mikvahs? Well, we we already differentiated between different kind of mikvahs, right? We right. have you have uh, the actual washing of someone who, according to the 
Levitical system and the holding of, of sacred space, physical space, like demarcated in the, whether it's the tabernacle in the wilderness or it's the temple in Jerusalem. And those priests that are, uh, Levites that are charged with protecting that space and you have, however they managed that to ensure people who came in were were washed. So that's at the the Torah of commandment level. Then there are those who, while still at the Torah command level, if someone uh, became impure for a day, they part of their back becoming pure again was to wash. And, and if they didn't wash when they were required, if they didn't immerse, then there was consequences. Okay, but that's one level. Then you have the, the mikvah, such as we see in these local places, like, uh, you know, we talked about Gamla or Qumran or Masada. And we don't, you know, sadly, we don't know what the ideology, the local ideologies were. We know that Qumran was likely very different than Gamla, Right. For example, in terms of how they read the scriptures, how they interpreted uh, prophecy, how they believed a community, the community of Israel should be led, and what they should be taught, and what they should be, how they should pray, etc. So different, very different groups of Jews between Qumran and Gamla. Uh, and so the reason and the way and how those local communities were taught and the place of immersion in those communities would have varied. So we don't even have a uniform idea of among the traditions of men. We have more than one tradition of men with respect to local application of, of immersion. Uh, but, but we, enough commonality that they're shared. There's, we can say they share things. They share there's local oversight and they control, um, uh, who has access of course. And, and that they value it, that it's a value, but we don't know the details on where they place the value and what the overall system was. I, I feel like you haven't uh, addressed the question. So then when we talk about baptism, like in the apostolic writings, we're like the, we're talking, we're not talking about those local kind of things. We're talking about starting with John's baptism. We're talking about people going out into the wilderness, out into the Jordan River, as we already talked about. Life application. Uh, total total immersion of life. Right? I mean, this is what you're talking about? This is, this is the difference. Local application of, of uh, something physically being different. They all, I, yeah, that's right. And you said that earlier. They all share, all, all these, whether it's uh, talking about the priesthood, you know, someone washing because of death, uh, becoming pure and then being, you know, being a candidate to have access back to the holy area, or whether it's Qumran group or the Gamla group, or even John the Baptist immersing. They all have something in common with what you said earlier, a, a transition of status. Now the question is, uh, who's defining this, the status that is transitioned from, from a state A to state B? Is God defined this, the status shift? Or is it a local controlled thing and it's right. uh, a gr local group of religious men that have defined what the status is? Right. That's where the differentiation, in my view, needs to be uh, properly recognized and, and delineated. Do I care what God thinks or do I care what this particular group of Jews thinks? Right. That's, that's the core issue. Do, the word of God and the tradition of men. That's the... You know, if you grow up in a in an Orthodox Jewish world, you don't have a lot of leeway to be pressing that question, because the entirety of the tradition is hinged on the myth that there's an oral Torah given to Moses that is transmitted faithfully throughout every generation to the very rabbis that Orthodox rabbis today, who who embody the the revelation of Sinai, and that when they give a, a halakhic ruling and they make uh, decisions and they that. It, it's in continuity with the Mishnah, with the Talmud, with the medieval rabbinic works that are all seen as canonical. And so you can't, it's kind of like Catholicism in that regard. 
you can't separate the authority from the actual word of God. But as if you're a disciple of Yeshua, the gospels time and time again warn us of the dangers of conflating the traditions of man with the word of God. And we are actually given a higher bar and it's not easy at all. It's very difficult. Okay, hang on just a second. We, once uh, to, again, what, to dis- differentiate. Once again, we have a lot going on in the chat room. For uh, let's let's address just a couple of these. Uh, Helen says, "I'm still confused as to how we have a different or new command in the apostolic scriptures. So, is it a new command? Well, I mean, first of all, we certainly have new commands in the apostolic scriptures, right? I mean." Uh, a leader is not allowed to be the the husband of more than one wife. Well, Jacob had a lot of wives, right? He had four, well, two two wives and two concubines. Is that a new new command? It seems to be new. You know, it's not laid out that way in the Torah. So it seems like we have new commands in the in the uh, in the apostolic scriptures. So. Whether or not baptism was specifically a new command uh, or not, I suppose that could be well, argued. Being ba- being ba- remember, we, there's such a thing as, as progressive revelation. I mean, if you read in, in the epistle, I think it's is it First Peter, he talks about how the spirit of Messiah is in the prophets telling them about things, the future though, things that they themselves don't understand. So when Yeshua comes, and for example, we go to the famous verse, you know, at the end of Matthew 28, go, you know, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all these things which I have commanded you. I will be with you always, right, even to the end of the age. Okay, so what is that? That is, is that a new thing with respect to God's will? No, but the time now has come for that to happen. Because remember, Yeshua bring, Yeshua is the seed of Abraham. Yeshua brings the blessing, as Paul writes in Galatians. Yeshua, it is through Yeshua that the blessing of the gospel, which is was promised to Abraham, and you, all the nations of the world, will be blessed. That is fulfilled in Yeshua's coming his death his resurrection and then his sending the ruach so that that blessing now in power goes out to the whole world does that mean that's new in god's will no it's always been god's will right but just just like well is it always god's will that yeshua would come and die on the cross yes but that happened precisely in the in the timeline of history where when it was supposed to it didn't happen a moment sooner it didn't ma- happen a moment later. Okay, hang on. Just in, in, on this thought, though, on this thought, this goes back to the same question that we've had numerous times. Were people indwelled by the Holy Spirit before the coming of the Messiah? And the answer is yes. They were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we know that, the that. Even in Acts, he and, says, David spoke by the Holy Spirit saying, right? right. Or and, the and, Holy Spirit, yeah. And so the point is, is that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what is what matters. Getting dunked in, in water is, I mean... Are we supposed to do it? Yes, as a symbol of what has happened. It's a symbol of what has really happened, which is the indwelling, uh, the baptism, of the Holy Spirit. So, to Helen, well, that's a that's a good point, Caleb, because you could ask this: Did everybody? Here's just now. It's kind of an experiment, a thought experiment question. But would you think that everybody who went out from Judea and Jerusalem to be immersed in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, do you think they all had true repentance? No. I agree. I, how could that would be a bold statement? I mean, how and how could we know? I, I think it makes it's way more plausible to think that there were bandwagon thousands of people that were legitimately repentant. Sure, but I think there were people who went out and because of just it was the social thing, and they came out and I don't think that God called John the Baptist to be like a sniffer of souls to like, I mean, right, exactly. in general he did. Cause when those Pharisees came out, he said, who warned you to flee? You brood of vipers. Right. Right. So, but I, I think, it, you know, it's a tough question. Obviously I don't think the scriptures ever say, and some of the people who were baptized couldn't really, well here, then you'd have to say this though, cause Yeshua didn't, Yeshua didn't have to repent and he was immersed. Absolutely. Okay, so, hang on just a second. But back to Helen's Helen's uh, initial question. Where do we see baptism in 
the uh, in, in the Torah. I suppose we could say that we see it there because the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. He says, uh, you know, write this on your heart. And then he well, said, baptiz- and he also says, I will write this on your heart. That's baptism of the Holy right. Spirit. <laughs> baptism is, is Genesis 1. I mean, it, in John 3, he says, of the, born of the water and the Spirit. This is imagery. This is the language of right. creation. Oh, yes. Go there. And, Go. And, keep going. And, well, he said, that's, and Genesis 1 is our first time where we have the, the word mikvah, the gathering of waters. And you have the earth, the dry coming out of the out of the waters, and then and then you have the bearing bearing of fruit, right? And on and so this is this is an image, I believe, that is is meant when it, associating with Yeshua's death and then being a new creation. It it has to do with back to the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It is it is literally kind of in a in a in a way in messiah's kingdom of going and you know experiencing new creation through genesis one like time travel back to genesis one i know that sounds kind of crazy maybe but that is the gathering of the waters are the mikvah oat and the dry land comes out of the waters and that's right that's the adama that's your that's the what man is made of and so you could probably only push that so far but uh, I think the implication there is in immersion in Messiah and being born of the Spirit is everything is new, right? It's not, uh, the old is gone, right? It's dead. And the the crazy thing is, and this Paul gets into this at the end of Galatians 2, the life that I now live in the flesh, meaning he realizes he's died, he says, I've been crucified with Messiah, Right. And it's not I that live, but Messiah who lives in me. But then he's, it's so hard to talk about. I mean, how do you talk about this stuff? He's like, well, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so what's he saying? He's saying, well, according to the Torah, my sin debt has been paid. Because the Torah, according to the Torah's claim against me as a sinner, that is no longer, there's no longer any record of that. Because I've been crucified with Messiah, I've been I'm, I've been dead, but I have new life, which is Yeshua's new life. But yet I go on living. I didn't physically die, so the, there is a mystery there of how how can my sin debt be paid as a as a sinner against God, and 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 that and, is justly defined and condemned by the holy Torah of God. And he answers this. He answers this in Galatians two. In Galatians two twenty, I've been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right. Amen. Amen. That is so, that's so core that our new life is the life that is affirmed in the Torah for Yeshua, right? Because remember that the, there's no sin in, in Yeshua. There's a, Yeshua had no sin. So, there, so the Torah only testifies to Yeshua being righteous and and uh, uh, holy. So hang God. on just a second. I, w- I want to rephrase real quick. I'm sorry. My, my brain is still stuck on this. I want to rephrase real quick for Helen because Helen brings up a good point and I want, I want to go back. Do we see baptism in the Torah? Yes, we absolutely do. And Gary brings in this point. He says it may not, it may seem new, but it's just expansion on what's already there. I agree with that. In other words, Yeshua shows, he, he says, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength? You're doing it wrong. This is how you do it. So he's not giving new commands. It's the commands he's already given in Torah. He's just telling you how to do them. Baptism in water is a symbol of what has happened by the Holy Spirit. And this is circumcision of the heart. This is indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the Torah and the Tanakh. However, I need I, I need to say this bit. The apostolic scriptures are no less scripture than the Torah. The, to- the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament, have just as much authority and are just as much scripture as the Torah is. I asked somebody recently, can the Torah inform the apostolic scriptures? They said yes. I said, can the apostolic scriptures inform the Torah? And he said no. I disagree with that. 
If it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, if it's God-breathed by the Holy Spirit, it is just as much scripture, just as authoritative, just as whatever you want to say in terms of the word of God as the Torah is. One is not greater than the other. They're both God-breathed. They're both of the Holy Spirit. They're both from God. That's true. Thank you. Okay, um, we have gone almost an, a complete hour, and we've only gotten to number two out of nine, which I love. That's great. Um, we're going. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go um, through one more question, perhaps, um, and then we will put this whole conversation on hold until two weeks from today when Rob is back with us, which is... This, I mean, it's going to be interesting how we talk about this because I'm going to do a recap of my Ontario conference that day, too. So we'll have to pack a couple of things in. Um, and maybe we'll talk about some of this in Messiah Matters more. Um, anyway, let's go with one more. Uh, the, uh, the question is, which one? <laughs> if baptizo is, uh, means to immerse... Does this render all other forms invalid in spite of faith being present? Does this term automatically disqualify Im infant baptism, or does the parents' faith demonstrated by that them bring the child for baptism suffice? Okay, I, this is something I want to I want to talk about because this plays into church history, which I think is very important. You have infant baptism come around. First of all, infant baptism and the debate over infant baptism. Um doesn't come about until till late, okay? And this is still something that the reformers are, are debating when Luther Luther uh, is saying, yes, infant baptism. Zwingli is saying, no, no infant baptism. Why is this? Infant baptism comes around because of, I hate to say this, and, I, and no offense to any Christian out there who believes in infant baptism, but this comes about because of replacement theology. The idea is, is that the Torah is done away with, we are the new Israel, and... Uh, since the Torah is done away with, circumcision is done away with. Circumcision was seen as a, um, as a, oh, what do they call it? Anyway, um, just like the Eucharist or uh, baptism is a sacrament. Thank you. Uh, so uh, circumcision is seen as a sacrament of the old covenant. But it's still a sacrament, according to the church. This is how the debate went. And therefore, the sacrament has not, it doesn't go away. It's still there. It's just replaced. And it's replaced with something in the new covenant. And that new covenant is baptism. That's the new sacrament of the new covenant is baptism as opposed to circumcision. And so the debate happened on whether or not it comes with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the change of heart within the person or whether or not the parent is supposed to administer it to the infant just like circumcision was administered to the infant. This is where infant baptism comes from. And for those of us who believe that Torah is still an act today and that, that baptism should still be administered to, to uh, male uh, children at eight days old, then obviously baptism cannot replace circumcision. Circumcision is the sign of the parents that they believe in the coming of the Messiah and that they believe in the covenant. Now, whether or not a non-believer does that or not, it's part of the covenant. It's the sign that the Messiah is coming through a virgin birth, right? It the doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. it doesn't save, save you. your son. Exactly. It's just right. a symbol. And just as baptism is a symbol of, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, what is baptism then? Baptism is a sign that you personally have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Circumcision is by the parents to say this child is coming into the covenant. And we believe in the coming of the Messiah. Baptism, on the other hand, baptism is personal. I have accepted this. I believe. And so this is exactly why I don't believe in infant baptism. I don't believe the Bible teaches infant baptism. Because this comes from an, a misunderstanding of Paul saying that, that circumcision is no longer an issue, that you shouldn't circumcise children, or that it's not necessary. And if that's the case, then Paul's a false teacher and needs to be rejected outright. Of course, I don't believe that. I believe that Paul's words that we have in the 66 books are inspired and therefore are from the Almighty, as I have just stated. Um, but the point is, is that baptism and circumcision are two totally different things. And this is why I believe that Torah observant believers need to fully and totally reject the idea of infant baptism. Thoughts? 
what the only other thought I had pertained to one that I don't know if you mentioned, but someone posted, you know, the thief on the cross, obviously mm-hmm. was not physically, immer- you know, was not baptized. baptized so, right. I mean, we can just say, of course, you know, and the scriptures record that for us so that we can understand, you know, that things don't always apply, right? There, that, um, and that it's the physical, uh, literal, uh, literal baptism must not be, therefore, a uh, a non-negotiable requirement of salvation. But at the same time, Yeshua says, you know, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So, right? So we have to look at the whole of Scripture. I completely agree. Um, it looks like we've had just unbelievably good conversation. This this show has sparked really good conversation in the in the chat room. Thank you everybody uh, for who has been uh, putting your comments in the chat room. Uh, we've had a better showing today than we ever have in the chat room uh, for Messiah Matters. So that's exciting. It's exciting. Oh, good to question. Have- Bra- yeah. Brown is sixty eight. How do you know you are ready to be baptized? What are the prerequisites? This is great. And you know what? I almost I almost feel silly and a little bit sheepish that we didn't. Cut to you know, this. You cut to this point. Cut to the and, chase, right? And this is a. I I would say, okay. Let me. I'll answer and then I'll pin it over to you. I say, personal prayerful desire, and then interaction with someone who, who you trust, um, in terms of, uh, biblically, just to make sure you know that you have some of the basics of 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 what, what this, means, right? Um, and I think that's it. But what do you think? I have very mixed feelings on this. My son's been asked to be baptized. He's five. Now, I was baptized at, I think, five. I was baptized in the church at five. I was re-baptized when I was 18. And I've thought about being baptized again. And the reason why is because there's been major life uh, changes and uh, things that I've gone through that I felt took me away from uh, you know, a sliding back or even a, a, a complete uh, rejection of faith um, has have come in my life. And so to me that it it was very damaging to my faith later to say, well, I was baptized and then I, you know, then I backslid or I fell away from faith. Uh, you know, I don't believe that I was actually indwelled by the Holy Spirit until later in life. So should I get baptized again after I feel like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came? Um, and I've told my son that he has to wait. He has to wait until he's older. And in the, uh, you know, when we sponsored um, Russian and Ukrainian families, they told us that they w- wouldn't baptize their children until they, uh, until they came of age because they, uh, basically, once you got baptized, it meant pe- persecution. And so, in other words, once a, child, once a child had grown up and was ready and willing to be persecuted, physically persecuted, was the time when they were willing to baptize their children because ultimately as soon as they went under the water and came back up, they were going to be persecuted. Now, I've wrestled with all of these things. I think that you're right. I think it comes down to personal preference I think, and, and counsel from others within your community and um, them saying, yes, you've, you've shown uh, dedication and you've shown the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's important. Um, as a father now who has children who, uh, you know, my son has, uh, in, in many ways, I look at my son and say he has greater faith than I do. So his desire to want to be baptized is something that I'm very happy about. But at the same time, living in our society, living in our culture, with so much going on around, I almost want him to get older to be able to set, you know, to have to face some of those challenges. My son has never had to, to face persecution. He's never had to face peer pressure of others who aren't believers telling him that he's wrong or, you know, had to endure the the onslaught of the LGBT community around telling him that he's a bigot and all these kind of things, which to us, you know, to me now, I don't mind at all. But, you know, in my teen years, that really affected me. Um, so I don't know what the answer is to that. I, I think that each individual, once again, I think it goes back to individual and community. I think that we need to be in communities that can help each one of us say, uh, give us counsel on this. <clears throat> that's my that's my personal opinion. I, I think each, like a lot of things in Torah and a lot of things in community, I think each situation has to be uh, assessed individually by, by not just the individual, but by the community as well. You know, this is why I think community is so vitally important. 
uh, we keep going back to this idea of community. I think going and asking your local leaders and your your you know your local uh, your your pastors or your uh, leaders in your Torah community or even your small group Bible study, asking the opinions of other people, finding another couple that you can read the Bible and and pray with. This is vital to the way that we live out our faith, and I think that uh, this is one of the reasons why. This is a perfect example of of the Bible doesn't tell us we need counsel. Okay. This has been such a good conversation. I know that we will come back to it. We have a lot more questions. We have, what, six more questions on this that, uh, that hmm. Jessica has graciously put together for us. And so... Um, thank you, Jessica, for your hard work in uh, in and <laughs> your zeal. Man, I love it when people are you know are just have these questions that are popping out of their head. They they really help us. And so uh, thank you to Jessica, and uh, thank you to everyone who's listened and been a part of this conversation. I want to encourage everyone to come back next week and listen to my father and I discuss his new book um, that will be coming out sometime in August. Uh, we'll be giving away one free. You can call in. Hopefully, we'll get that all worked out. And uh, I think that it'll be a wonderful time of discussion uh, and a wonderful time to do one thing. And what is that? It's to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. <laughs>